Hi, Hillary. This is John Pittman, All Classical Portland. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Portland. Hi, John. <laughs> great to hear your voice. Same here. How are you? Oh, I'm doing just great. I've been immersing myself in both your music and as well your story behind your new release that's coming out called Eclipse. And uh, to me, it feels like you're you're in a sense a voice not only for yourself, but also those of all the other musicians in the world who have gone through these tumultuous times. Well, thank you. That's that's quite an honor. <laughs> Some of it feels like reliving and, and recollecting uh, what we've all been through to different degrees. One thing I've started doing since concerts resumed that I realized during my sabbatical actually was really important is just holding space. I think when we're around other people, sometimes uh, we don't hold space for them and for their different experiences, for their stories, and also for ourselves. And so in performance, I will literally take more time sometimes in my interpretations just so that everyone can kind of feel what they need to feel and then move move together in that moment, stay there as long as I feel like it's needed, and then I move on to the next section of the of the piece. And I think as we progress out of the shutdown phase and back into the resuming phase, it's easy to think that we have to pretend that the the past few years didn't happen, but actually that's now in our DNA of our life experiences. And all of us experienced something. Sometimes it was great. Sometimes it was awful. Sometimes it was blah. Um, sometimes it was just life changed a bit. And everyone experienced something. So to go through a global time where everyone had some kind of upheaval, for better or for worse, is actually a very bonding experience. And I don't think we need to forget that it happened. I think we can think about, you know, what can we bring from that towards other people? How can we increase empathy and compassion? And a lot of what music does is connect with the emotions of people's inner lives, <laughs> especially in a classical music concert where you don't often have words. It's open to interpretation. You can hear in it what you need to hear, what you want to hear. You can engage with what's going on in the music. You can tap out and check back in when you're ready. Um, it's just sort of a, a private, shared experience that's really unique. That's a very good point, Hillary, uh, keeping in mind that everybody experience this in different ways, and I suppose that can extend now to listening to music, maybe hearing it differently, and maybe you playing it differently. Do you ever think about how you were so close to recording and performing the three pieces that are on this disc? You came right up to <laughs> that, in, that lockdown. It was all ready to go, and... Do you ever think about what would this recording sound like two and a half years ago versus now? And any any way to kind of encapsulate that? Well, I I was really driven to record these pieces with these colleagues, and it was a pinnacle of my season. So I know it would have been super meaningful to me any which way, under any circumstances. And I don't know what I would have arrived with for experiences or frames of reference um, had the pandemic not begun when it began. And 
you know, you you can't compare hypotheticals. But what I what I do know is that the experience of making the record taught me so much and validated so much for me about how I relate to music, who I am as a musician. I learned exactly who I am as a musician in the course of all of this. And I know exactly what music means to me. <laughs> um, and I think the fact that the album was placed when it was at the time that everything was beginning to revive and that I was entering all of that at the time that the album was being recorded. There's just a, a convergence of things that you can't plan for, but that for me was incredibly formative. And I wanted to make sure just to acknowledge that when, when talking about the record, because there's so many times you make a record and it, it is, at least for me, you know, I've, I've made a lot of records that were so meaningful to me, but it's hard to to really say why. You know, you say why, but it's your story. It's not everyone else's story. But I think it's important to tell the stories from these times because we all shared some things in these times that I think um, we have in common as people. And um, yeah, for me, arriving at that moment to make that recording, it was a time when I didn't really know who I was as a musician because I'd been on my own for a couple of years practicing. And my version of being a musician is very much um, based on the interaction with other musicians. So I know who I am in comparison to other people. I know who I am in this particular collaboration, or I know who I am um, when I'm playing solo Bach with the audience there. <laughs> Things become clear to me when I'm on stage with people. So I just was developing ideas and ways of thinking about the world and understandings about people. And um, I was developing my own playing of these pieces in in solitude. I just didn't know where I was. <laughs> and when I arrived, I was like, oh, here we are. Okay, I get it. Okay, I see. We're here. We got it. It's good. I'm speaking with Hilary Hahn here at All Classical Portland. The CD is called Eclipse. Which brings me to my next question. Was Eclipse the name you had chosen when you first conceived of these three pieces? The Dvorak Violin Concerto, Alberto Ginastera's Violin Concerto, and the Sarasate Carmen Fantasy. The name came last. <laughs> I had everything. And I was like, what is it? What is it? Yes, yes, definitely. Well, pandemic's still going on, but like post-shutdown phase, yeah. Um, it was just like... Um, I know, like, I know what this album is, but what is it? Like, how do I say it in a word? What is this? Because there's so many things to this album. There's a lot of um, sense of physical motion in the album from the musical identities of the composers being ge geographically based, and then they physically traveled away from those areas and evolved elsewhere and then tied it all back in together by the point at which they were writing these pieces. And there's the you know, idea of moving through history. These pieces, you know, travel through a lot of developments of composition over the centuries, um, over the past two centuries. And um, also all these composers, all of us playing on the album, we live from traveling with music. And then 
there's the sense that the traveling stopped and the light shifted somehow. Like there's a big perspective shift for people, for musicians, for uh, listeners, for people who love music. Um, I notice almost every musician who's come through the pandemic and is performing again has a different outlook. Um, it's just totally um, revived perspective or changed perspective on their work and on music. Um, and it's just this shifting of the light. And I kept returning to this, like, shifting of perspective, shifting of the light. That's what this means to me. The stage lights literally went out. <laughs> and then they came back on and everything looked different. And I was like, aha, that's what it is. We have all, in the course of the composers writing this, in the course of us making the album, we've all traveled through a sort of a shutting down and a revival. Um, so that's why this album is called Eclipse. Eclipse is not just when it goes down. It's also when the lights come back on. <laughs> right, right. And an eclipse can either be a shadow's being cast on you or what you're looking at, or you can be on the other side of it where there's light. Exactly. Exactly. I see one thread through the three pieces, Hillary. Uh, we know Dvorak, uh, strongly influenced by his own Czech heritage. Alberto Ginastera, a little bit of both Argentinian folk music, but also modernism. And Sarasate, the Spanish violinist and composer, inspired by a French opera on a Spanish subject. <laughs> so we're really kind of moving yes. around uh, between those three. And even speaking multiculturally, um, the way people pronounce the composer's name. So you're saying you're saying Ginastera, which is how he wanted it to be pronounced later in life because of his roots. He had, um, I believe, it was the Catalan roots, right? And that's where his name came from. Um, but then I recorded this in Europe, and it's being, um, you know, presented globally. And so we actually had a discussion between the record company and all the musicians. We were like. Okay, what pronunciation are we going to use? Because we should pay attention to what the composer requested, which is Ginastera. But as far as our conversations, we keep getting stuck talking about his name because we have all these different pronunciations. So we really need to settle on something that allows us to focus on the music and, and move with fluency through this. Otherwise, it's going to become a stumbling block, you know, for all of us. And we decided ultimately to go away from the composer's wishes. <laughs> True musicians as we are, we were like, well, he wanted it this way, but it flows better for us if we say Hinastera. So I am acknowledging that we are being incorrect in saying Hinastera, but I am going to say Hinastera and you should say Ginastera. And for the listeners, you can go look into the history of it and it's really fascinating. <laughs> but I just have to acknowledge that because it is so emblematic of the experience of these of these composers, you know, moving through languages, moving through the world, moving through their own understanding of their own histories. Um, Sarasate, there's an element of translation there as well because um, Sarasate was the quintessential Spanish representative of his musical heritage. He was very proud to be Spanish. He worked within the Spanish idiom a lot. Um, he 
and, of course, grew up in Spain and then traveled. And one of his friends was Bizet, the, the French composer who wrote the opera Carmen, which is in French but about a Spanish story and also about, um, you know, using the Spanish musical idioms that Sarasate would have seen as a birthright. And so when Sarasate needed a virtuoso piece that already had some greatest hits in it for the audience to enjoy for his own concerts, he chose to set the Carmen back on the violin. And he was essentially, whether rebelliously or not, he was retaking this um, this music for himself and putting it in his own fluency. And there's not just the translation back into the piece's origins, but there's also um, translation from vocal language into violin language. There's the translation of character of Carmen from a singer to a performer of a violin, which is outside the body, inside the body to outside the body. Um, just all kinds of, of things. And in the course of the Carmen fantasy, he arranges um, an orchestral section for soloist and orchestra. There's a, an interlude where the flutes go, yeah. And that shows up in the violin part. It's just fascinating to see how composers take their experiences and uh, make them theirs. Dvorak with his folk references and his deep knowledge of folk styles from also his interest in folk styles around the world. Um, Yet he has such a distinctive way of writing and the entire concerto is not based in that. But it shows up as just an accent in in the whole piece, um, very, um, but yet very grounded in the, the um, classical music traditions of the Romantic era from his region of the world. Um, it's just all of these composers are, are saying who they are in so many different ways in these particular pieces. just to uh, have a minute or so remaining in our time, and I'd like you to just share with me why the Frankfurt Radio Symphony and conductor Andres Orozco Estrada are the right fit and, and perfect collaborators for you on Eclipse. Ah, now that's a big topic, but I will, I will, I will distill it. <laughs> I will do the distillation for you and for myself. Um, so, I have a really long history with them individually, and they have a history with each other. So I have worked with Frankfurt Radio touring the world, multiple continents, um, for at least two decades with different conductors, different repertoire. I've known those musicians um, from post-concert hangouts and from plane rides and from concerts and rehearsals. And even when I was doing my interview series, um, Back like 15 years ago for my YouTube channel, I interviewed artistic administrators and orchestra members from that orchestra. So I look in that orchestra and I know things about those players that um, are really connecting musically with the work that we do. Um, And then with Andres, um, we've worked together for almost a decade and we've really built our collaboration. You know, we started 
sort of with a regular collaboration, but we both intentionally built the musical connection by really investigating how we work best together um, and really trying to make it as good as it can be. And I think that's in both of our natures to really, you know, we put it all on the stage. We really dig in. We really love collaborating and really love musical discussions in the moment on stage and like challenging our colleagues with ideas, details and big picture. I think we approach music with the same joy of of exploration. And so we found our way together to the way that we work together. So that's a very strong collaboration. I feel so lucky that I got to build a project around that collaboration and that that collaboration was passionate about the same things that I was. So that's why it was perfect. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> Sounds like the perfect partnership. Hilary Hahn, thank you so much for spending some time with me here at All Classical Portland. And we are looking forward to sharing this conversation and the three pieces from your new recording, Eclipse, with our listeners here at All Classical Portland. Thank you so much. Hi, Portland. <laughs> See you soon. Thank you.